Well, good morning, y'all. Good morning. And happy Lord's Day. Thank you. <clears throat> Guys, in 1964, Kellogg's came out with the Breakfast of Champions. Any guess what that would be? Not Wheaties, almost. Pop-Tarts. Yes, Pop-Tarts. I don't know about you, but I love Pop-Tarts. Um, and look, there's many ways to eat a Pop-Tart, isn't there? You can eat it right out the bag, cold. How many people like cold Pop-Tarts? Over here, how many people like cold Pop-Tarts? None of y'all, man. Over here, all right, how many of you like them toasted in the toaster or microwave? Yep, 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 all right. <clears throat> Still the same Pop-Tart and delicious nonetheless. <clears throat> I remember whenever I was a kid, I used to eat my Pop-Tarts around the edges first. And I would like deprive myself of the goodness of the chewy, gooey middle and sugar, right? So regardless of how you like your Pop-Tart, it's still goodness. <clears throat> what would happen if I would expose those Pop-Tarts to radiation? <laughs> They'd be radioactive, right? <clears throat> and, but they would still look like a Pop-Tart. They would still taste like a Pop-Tart. But they would be radioactive. You would be exposed to radiation to some degree, right? And we could argue all day long, but Father, I don't think it is really a, a, exposed to radiation. It still looks like a Pop-Tart. Nothing changed. Doesn't matter what you think. The truth is, something has happened to it that could be deadly. I bring this up because today um, we're going to talk about the Eucharist. Um, <clears throat> I'm going to talk about a certain aspect of it at all the Masses this week. Next week, Father Patrick is going to speak at all the Masses about the biblical foundations of the Eucharist. Right? And um, why would we want to do this? Well, because there was a survey that was put out a couple months ago, a nationwide survey that went out of Catholics in the pews. Now, I don't know if you got the survey, but uh, a survey from Catholics in the pews and asked a simple question. Do you believe that Jesus is really present in the Eucharist, body, blood, soul, and divinity, or is it just a symbol? The number was staggering. These are practicing Catholics. The number was right at 70% of in-the-pew Catholics believe that the Eucharist is just a symbol. Just a symbol. That it is not really Him. 30% of Catholics nationwide say, yes, it is Jesus, body, blood, soul, and divinity. Right? 70% say, no, it's just a symbol. Guys, this shook Priests and bishops around the nation to our core. What happened? Why is it that 70% of our practicing Catholics no longer believe? I think that we take the blame on that one as priests. We haven't catechized. We haven't preached about it. Why don't we have we preached about it? I don't know. But it's just something that has gotten lost along the way that priests from pulpits have stopped talking about it. Maybe it's controversial. Maybe we don't want to bring that up. Maybe we want to talk about feelings. I don't know what it is. But we've stopped preaching about it. And so I think that's our fault. Right? So Father Patrick will preach about the biblical foundations next week. I want to speak about witnesses to the Eucharist. Pope Paul VI said something very intriguing. He said, modern man 
listens more willingly to witnesses than he does to teachers. Modern man listens more willingly to witnesses than he does to teachers. And he goes on to say, and if he does listen to a teacher, it's because they are first a witness. Right? Isn't that true? We're going to listen to someone who is living it and what their actions are saying rather than what their mouth might say. So I want you to listen today. I don't know where you stand and what your belief is. And I think in South Louisiana, it's probably pretty strong that there's a strong Eucharistic belief. But maybe some people might be struggling with it. And if so, I want you to listen to witnesses of the Eucharist. Witnesses like St. Anthony of Padua, a friar, follower of St. Francis of Assisi back in the 1200s. He was preaching about the Eucharist in the early church. That was the main thing that they preached about was the Eucharist. And he was preaching about the Eucharist. And historically what happened is there was a man who didn't believe. And he came to St. Anthony. He said, look, he said, I don't believe everything that you're saying here. He said, but I want to challenge you to something. He said, if this piece of bread is really what you say it is and who you say it is, he said, I want to challenge you and I'm going to take my donkey and I'm going to starve my donkey for three days. Animal activists would have a fit, but that's beside the point. He's going to starve him for three days. And he said, after three days, we're going to come out to the city square and you take your Eucharist and I'm going to take my hungry donkey and I'm going to put my, his favorite food on one end of the street and you're going to be on the other end of the street with your Eucharist. And we're going to put my donkey right in the middle. He said, if the donkey goes to you, I'll believe that this creator, creation, the donkey, recognized his creator in the Eucharist. He said, if he comes to his favorite food, then I won't believe. So the donkey was starved for those three days, and Anthony fasted for three days. And on that third day, historically, what happened was Anthony came out into the streets holding Jesus and the holy monstrance and the Eucharist, brought the donkey into the middle. His food was on one side, and Anthony was on the other side with the Eucharist. They say what happened was the donkey came to the center, and he looked both ways and directly turned to St. Anthony and walked to him. And not only did the donkey walk to Anthony holding the Eucharist, the donkey got down on his front knees and he bowed to the Eucharist. A donkey recognized Jesus, his creator, in the Eucharist. <laughs> Come on. Right? Let's talk about um, another young boy in the early 200s. He was just a kid. He was like maybe 10, 12 years old. His name is Tarskus. In the early church, they would celebrate Mass like we celebrate it, but not in churches. They would do it in people's homes. And so then they would let people that were devoted take the Eucharist across town to bring to another house where the people would gather and they would break bread. So the little Tarskus was walking across town and he had the Eucharist and he was going and his friends began to stop him. And they say, Tarskus, what are you doing? What do you have in your arms? And he says, I, I can't stop. I got to keep going. And he refused to let them see what he was carrying, which was the Eucharist. These little boys got mad. They got jealous. They began to bully him. They picked up stones and stoned him to death and beat him. He died a martyr of the Eucharist. A 10, 12-year-old boy refused 
to let them take what he was so precious that was in his arms. You had a priest in 1967. His name was Father George. The church began to burn down and he ran into the church and he didn't grab anything except for the Holy Eucharist. He went and he took everything that was out of the tabernacle and he ran out and he ended up dying of smoke inhalation. And, but he saved the Eucharist. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Just a few months ago, what happened at France? Notre Dame Cathedral? Did y'all read the story of the priest and the fireman that ran into the fire? As the church, Notre Dame was burning. <clears throat> the priest and the firefighter ran into the church and they didn't grab the Caravaggio paintings. They didn't grab the crown of thorns and the precious treasures of the church. They ran straight to the tabernacle and they grabbed Jesus and the Holy Eucharist and ran out of the church with them. My friends, if that was just a piece of bread, then that priest was insane. He risked his life for nothing if it was just a piece of bread. But if it was more than a piece of bread, if his actions are teaching us anything, then we can look at him and say, he is willing to die for something. And if that something was a piece of bread, then he's a fool. But if that something was truly the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus, then he's a saint. He's courageous and heroic. Right? Every priest. Why do we become priests? We don't become priests so that we can become, in a makeshift way, the CEO of a company, a church, a parish. We don't become priests so that we can have power, prestige, or influence over congregations and towns. I became a priest for one reason and for one reason only, and that was so that every morning I could wake up and I could celebrate this Mass. I could take this little piece of bread and say the words of Jesus, this is my body given up for you. And I know that He becomes real. If it's not Jesus, then I've wasted my life. If it's just a piece of bread, then every priest for 2,000 years was idiots. They wasted their life. But if it's Jesus, of which it is, then we have the greatest gift that anybody could ever have. This is something that we don't need to be quiet about. We don't need to be ashamed of what the church teaches about the Holy Eucharist and what people might say. This is the way that we worship. This is why you're here today. You didn't come to just hear a, a good homily and some great music. You came for Jesus. This is what wakes us up as a priest in the morning. This is what is the cause of our joy as a priest. This is what animates everything that we do. An entire day is, revolves around this moment in the life of priests. Modern man will listen more willingly to witnesses than he will a teacher. These are the witnesses. And we could go on and on and on. It comes to mind Archbishop Romero. What an amazing archbishop. Whenever his town was being taken over by various armies and this church was just shot up by machine guns and was taken over by the army, they took the tabernacle and they destroyed it and they took the host and threw it all over the floor. What did Archbishop Romero do? He didn't cower off and go walk away and say, oh well, it's just a piece of bread, no big deal. No. Archbishop Romero was ready to face martyrdom 
He vested up in his priest's vestments. He took an empty ciborium and he walked into his church that was filled with the military who had taken over his church and busted it up. He didn't say a word as he walked in. He simply walked into the sanctuary and he knelt down. He opened up the ciborium and one by one he started picking up the host. They started shooting the machine gun all around him. He kept picking up the host. Unspoken, no words, a witness, carried out the Eucharist and went back to his church, his rectory, later on, facing martyrdom. But at that moment, he walked out a victorious, saintly man because he was a witness to the people who were being killed for their faith and he wasn't going to sit back and watch this happen. If it was just a piece of bread, Romero, Archbishop Romero was crazy. But if he is a witness and he believes what Jesus says, this is my body, this is my blood given up for you. Jesus didn't say this is a symbol. He said it is. And if Jesus says it is, then who am I? To try to argue that, right? These are witnesses that we learn from, that we see live out what they truly believe. There's other ways for us to understand the Eucharist. Of course, through Scripture, but also through what we call Eucharistic miracles. I don't know if you ever heard of these. A young man, he was a young man, he was a teenager when he died. His name was Carlo. Um, he died of leukemia, but he had a great love for Jesus in the Eucharist. And within his little short lifespan, died as a teenager, he documented over 136 Eucharistic miracles that happened throughout the entire world. It's the largest composition on the website that the church has. This little teenager did this. It's incredible. <clears throat> 136 that he found from the year 700 until the present day. Now, let's speak about these Eucharistic miracles. What happens with them? Well, it's moments where um, the Eucharist actually turns. It's unveiled. It's actually the flesh. It turns to flesh and blood. And it's no longer seen as bread and wine. How does this happen? By sheer grace, number one. But we have to think about this. Jesus. Y'all remember the transfiguration, right? What happened in the transfiguration? You had Jesus who looked like a human being, because he was, he was fully human. But he was also fully divine. And Jesus didn't look like God when he walked the face of the earth. Think about it. People didn't walk up to Jesus and go, oh, man, you know what? You look like somebody I know. Who is that? Oh, you look like God. That's who. No, no. See, Jesus, his divinity, we say, is veiled in his humanity. If he would have walk the face of the earth in all of his glory. Whew, that had been unbelievable. But he veiled it. He hid it in the humanity of Christ. But at the transfiguration, he unveiled it, didn't he? Peter, James, and John go up to the mountain with Jesus, and all of a sudden they see Jesus in all of his glory. The humanity of Christ had been unveiled, and they saw him for who he is. If he could do that, and he chose to do that, and he has the right to do that, he still does that here today. 
in the Holy Eucharist. It's the resurrected body of Jesus that becomes, is veiled, is hidden in this little, what looks like a piece of bread, tastes like a piece of bread, right? The Pop-Tart looks like a Pop-Tart, tastes like a Pop-Tart, but has now been exposed to radiation. The little bread, whenever I'm going to consecrate it and say, this is my body, this is my blood, it looks like bread, tastes like bread, but the truth is it's divinized. It becomes Christ. Body, blood, soul, and divinity. This has been the Catholic Church's teaching from the beginning. Look through scriptures, right? If you're doubting it, look at Matthew chapter 26. Read it. What does Jesus say? This is my body. This is my blood. Read Mark 14. Read Luke 22. Luke 24. Whenever the apostles were walking with Jesus resurrected and they didn't recognize him until they had this meal with Jesus. And it says they recognized him in the breaking of the bread. It was unveiled at that moment. Read John chapter 6, the whole thing, it'll rock your face off. Read Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 10, Acts chapter 20, Acts chapter 27. Check out how the early church worshipped. Read 1 Corinthians chapter 11, when Paul is talking about celebrating Mass. And he speaks of the Eucharist as this bread. And he says, if anyone eats and drinks of this bread and this cup, without first discerning the body... Without examining our conscience, he says, you eat and drink damnation upon yourself. Judgment. Woohoo, that's some crazy. That's crazy bread. A piece of bread, seriously, can cause judgment upon somebody. Oh my gosh. Paul, you've lost your mind. Unless he believes what Jesus said, this is my body. This is my blood. That's what we understand as Catholics. Now what happens in Eucharistic miracles is that there's this one Eucharistic miracle that I'll speak of. Out of 136 of them, I can only have time to talk of one. It happened in Lanciano, Italy in the year 700. A priest was doubting his faith. A priest no longer believed it was Jesus. Even though he would pronounce the words and it would still become Jesus he no longer believed. So one day while he was celebrating Mass, as he pronounced the words on the, on the bread, this is my body given up for you, the bread actually turned into flesh in his hands. As he took the chalice and he says, this is the cup of my blood given up for you, the chalice, the wine, actually coagulated into four different parts. Now, science has begun to examine these, and you can go read about it. I encourage you, go to Google and Google Eucharistic Miracles Lanciano and read it. What they found, what, medicine, what medical and scientific research has found, and there's been extensive research, over 500 tests have been done on this. What they found was this, in short. They found that the flesh, the host, was actually living flesh, from the heart of a man who was under extreme duress, suffering. So it's the heart, living flesh, not just a glob of dead flesh, living flesh from the heart of a man under extreme suffering. They found that the blood was type AB blood. It was warm, still is warm. It's alive. It has all the proteins that bloods have in it. Whenever they took the four clumps of, of, of the blood, they measured them, weighed them. 
When they took three of them off and it was only one clump, it weighed the same exact as all four of them put together. I don't know what that means, but I think it's pretty cool. Um, <coughs> we also, um, <coughs> they also found that the blood, this is an, an intriguing. The piece of cloth that, the, that they say wrapped Jesus' body in after the, he came down from the cross, it's called the Shroud of Turin, where his body imprinted onto this cloth. There's blood on it. It's the same blood that they found on the, til- on the, uh, the shroud that they've seen in this chalice. Amazing. We could go through all 136 if you wanted to, but I don't think you want to. Um, I don't want to. Um, what they found in all of these Eucharistic miracles, there's been one constancy. Of all the hosts that have ever turned into this flesh, they've all been the same. Flesh, living flesh, from a man, and it's a heart tissue. All of the blood that have ever turned, hosts that have just started bleeding, it's all type AB blood, right? Why does he give these to us? Well, it's so that we can have our faith increased, so that we can come to know and believe and to understand who he is and the great love that he has for us. You see, in John chapter 21, Jesus says, I will remain with you until the end of time. How does he do that? Not through FaceTime. Not through those little Jesuses that wave on Facebook. No, he he remains with us physically here in the Holy Eucharist. When you come up for communion, isn't that what I say to you? The body of Christ. I don't say a symbol of the body of Christ. It's the body of Christ. And what's your response? Amen. In other words, I believe. I believe that it is Jesus, that he is who he says he is. And if that is true of which it is, then brothers and sisters, we have the greatest treasure that anybody has ever had. In the Catholic Church, this is the greatest treasure. No other denomination has this. In the Protestant denominations, the Catholic Church is the one who professes to be the one true church given to us by Jesus. He gave us the authority as a priest to celebrate this Holy Mass. It's what we believe. It's what we believed for 2,000 years. It's what history has shown to be true. It's what witnesses have given their lives for over and over and over again. And so if we struggle with the Scriptures, maybe you find it's hard to wrap our minds around. At least begin to believe through the witnesses of the men and women who have given their lives over and over again, century after century, so that we can continue to celebrate Mass. That's the greatest gift that we have. It's the greatest treasure of the church. It's why the priest ran into the church to save the Eucharist. And so let us come today, wherever we're at, whatever we're going through, whatever struggles we're having, spend some time with Jesus. Come sit in the church. We're fixing to have an adoration chapel in two weeks where Jesus will be exposed. You can speak to him face to face. Just go sit with him. Speak to him. He is who he says he is. He's not a liar. He says it's my body and blood. It's his body and blood. And we can rejoice in that. We can be proud in that. And we can come to receive him. And in that reception, the church says that a person receives all the grace they need 
in one holy communion to become the greatest of saints. All the grace you need for whatever you're going through right now can be found in the Eucharist. It will give you all the strength you need and the courage to carry the cross, to be our food for the journey, and to become the great saints that God has created us all to be. Amen?